Well, as I would imagine most of you know, uh, there is a holiday we're celebrating today, right? And that holiday is... What's that? What was it? Pascha. That's right. It's Pascha. All right. Pascha. That's what we're celebrating today. What I want to do is I want to talk about what this is. All right. So we're taking a little break from Genesis. I want to talk about what it is and um, why this is arguably a better name. I actually... Less confusing name, believe it or not, at this point. You'll see why in a minute. Uh, for what we do celebrate today. If you would please turn to John chapter 13. Gospel of John chapter 13. We're going to jump around in some chapters here. And then we're going to have a discussion. And then with whatever time we have left over, I want to come back and read large sections of John. Whatever time we have. So John chapter 13. John chapter 13 is essentially the, the beginning of the Easter sequence, or at least close to it. This is a good place to start. It says here, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he washed, he washed the feet of the disciples. Uh, what, what event is this in the Jewish calendar? This is Passover, right? Now, what's happening here is at the very very first verse there. Now, before the feast of the Passover, right? So there's this little point where we're getting ready, all right? And then it says, during the supper. When it talks about the supper, this is talking about, this would be the evening supper, right? Where you have the lamb and you eat bread dipped in bitter herbs. This goes all the way back to the Passover, all right? And so Jesus is celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples here. And there's a lot of discussion for the next few chapters. You've got the I am the way, the truth, and the life discussion in, verse, in uh, chapter 14. Chapter 15, you've got the I am the true vine. Chapter 16, he will talk of the work of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 17 is a, is a discussion of the high priestly prayer. Chapter 18 begins the betrayal. So all of this is a few hours. All those chapters. In chapter 18, uh, when Jesus has spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the the brook Kidron, where there was a garden. So this is the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes there. He is arrested there and brought before Annas and Caiaphas in that same chapter. This is also the chapter that Peter denies Jesus. Jesus goes before Pilate in this chapter, and in chapter 19, Jesus is delivered to be crucified. In chapter 19, verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, 
I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So that is the point at which Jesus dies. You have at the end of that chapter his burial. Chapter 20, though, is about his resurrection. And we will read that chapter later. And so when we celebrate Pascha, or as we say in English, uh, Easter, we are celebrating this sequence. And specifically, we're celebrating that last part, resurrection. All right. What we call Good Friday, which was Friday, is the other part. That is the death. All right. And so what we're celebrating today, though, is the resurrection. So now, let's talk about this word. Does anybody know what Pascha is? Anybody happen to know that? Pascha is essentially um, the, the word for Passover in a number of languages. All right? In Hebrew, it's Pesach. In Aramaic, it's Pascha. In Greek, it's Pascha. In Latin, it's Pascha. And unless you're in Germany or England, or one of England's many colonies, former colonies, um, unless you're in those places, you as a Christian, generally speaking, when you're talking about this festival, this event, you're going to be using either Pascha or you're going to be using a word that comes from Pascha. Now, for if English missionaries go somewhere else, then okay, they might have bring, brought the, the term Easter with them as well. But generally speaking, in the Eastern and Western Christendom, Easter is not a thing. It is Pascha. Now, this was all during the Jewish feast of Pascha. And for the Christians, instead of actually coming up with another name, they just chose Pascha. Now, it's very different for the Christians uh, because they aren't, they, they weren't celebrating delivery from Egypt. They were celebrating the resurrection of Christ, right? And so Pascha would have very different you know, meanings for Jews versus Christians. But that's where the word comes from. So Pascha is what the entire world is celebrating today, except for Germany, England, and its former colonies. All right? So we are... We're celebrating Pascha, right? Not Passover. We are celebrating the resurrection of Christ. Now, when did Pascha, when was Pascha celebrated first by Christians? Historically, historically speaking, you can't prove that it happened like, for example, in AD 34. Uh, the celebration of Pascha is not commanded in the New Testament. We are not commanded to celebrate Pascha. And so if someone chooses, for whatever reason, to not celebrate Pascha as a Christian, it is, from a scriptural standpoint, allowed. Now, from a Jewish standpoint, were they allowed to not celebrate Passover? No, they were not allowed to. they, They were not allowed to not They had to celebrate Passover. It is not in Christian scripture commanded that we must celebrate Easter. So, when did this happen? Yes, Jonathan. Early in Acts, when 
the Christians were gathered in a house waiting for the gift from God, mm-hmm. that would have been Passover. But would, would it have been Passover for them because Jesus had already died? So the, the, you mean Pentecost? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is a little bit later, but would have been like part of the same general, uh, it's a long festival season. Are Pentecost and Passover, did they go hand in hand? I don't know how related they are, honestly. Um, Passover itself is a seven or, depending on how you count it, eight day feast. It begins with the slaughtering of the lambs on the 14th day of the Jewish month of Nisan, which is relevant, uh, believe it or not. It, Passover meal is served the next day, according to Jewish reckoning, on the 15th of Nisan. Um, you might recall, or you might not, uh, you know, when, when does our day begin? Midnight, essentially, right? For the Jews, when does their day begin? Sundown. Sundown, right? And so, the, the, the lambs were sacrificed in the temple, if you were in the temple, and, and you know, when, when Jesus celebrated this very last Passover, um, it's factually accurate to say the lambs were sacrificed the, the day before. The lambs were slaughtered the day before they did the Passover. The day before was just the afternoon before. And so the, it actually wasn't like 24 hours where this meat went sitting around. It was actually just, you know, it was that day they slaughtered the, the lambs and then the, the Jews in the town that evening would then eat those lambs. And so the, 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 the Passover would begin the sacrifice on the 14th of Nisan. The evening meal on the 15th would be the actual Passover meal. And then there was a whole week of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so this was a very large celebration for the Jews. And they would call sometimes the sacrifice, the Passover. Sometimes they would call. We went through this a number of years ago. How could you not all remember? Um, the evening meal, they would sometimes call the Passover at that point. And they would also sometimes refer to that entire sequence, that whole week, the whole Feast of Unleavened Bread, with the sacrificing and with the Passover meal, as essentially it's all just Passover. Pentecost was a little bit later. But it doesn't say at any point in your New Testament, you will not find Easter. All right? At least you shouldn't. Anyway, that'd be terrible. Because uh, they didn't celebrate Easter. Well, it's not written in here. You're going to look, aren't you? It's not written in here that they were to celebrate, it's not commanded that they were to celebrate Easter. The first historical reference we have to Christians celebrating Easter would be in the 150s. However, essentially, you can find this. Have you heard of Eusebius? He wrote a church history. Um, he records an event where you've got um, Polycarp. You remember Polycarp? Polycarp was the disciple of the Gospel of, excuse me, the Gospel of John, the, uh, the Apostle John. All right. So he was based in Smyrna, which is in Asia. So he's, he's, an, he's an old fellow at this point. This is probably shortly before he was martyred. Um, Polycarp goes to Rome it has a discussion with uh, what you might hear as Pope Anicetus, the, the bishop of Rome at the time. And this would be probably like 150 or so. They were trying to solve a controversy. And the controversy was that the Eastern churches, as accustomed, the Greek-speaking churches in Asia and otherwise, they always celebrated 
Passover on the 14th of Nisan. So they just continued to follow the Jewish practice. The problem of that is it's a lunar cycle and 14th of Nisan may fall on a, may fall on a Sunday. Then again, it may not. But they would celebrate on whatever day that day was. The Western Church always celebrated Easter on Sunday, like we do today. And so Polycarp um, went to Rome and sat down with the Bishop of Rome, and they discussed it. And basically they went away with, well, we all, we all do it one way. You all do it one way. We're just going to agree to disagree and just say it's okay. All right? So it was a, apparently, according to Eusebius, a peaceful meeting. All right? And they just said, you've got a long history. We've got a long history. We are going to just do it our own way. Why do I tell you that story? Well, if you've got, in roughly 150 AD, you've got a bishop from Smyrna representing the entire east branch of Christianity, and the bishop of Rome representing a bunch of churches on the western side of Christianity. That doesn't mean that Easter started on 150. What that means is Easter's been going for decades and decades and decades because the churches have established customs in both areas. So conservatively, if you look at the evidence, conservatively, you've got 100, 110, you've got Easter. What probably happened, you can't prove it, this is what I think, when did they probably celebrate Easter? It's probably the year after Christ rose from the dead. It's going to be very natural for them. All of them were Jews. All the Christians at that point, pretty much, were Jews. And so Passover is going to come around, and they're going to go, what do we do, right? Do we celebrate Passover just like we've always celebrated? Or, but our Lord rose on that Sunday. If it didn't start that year, it's got to start, I think, reasonably. It's got to start shortly thereafter. But historically, you can't prove it. And so you've got Easter, historically speaking, all right? You can argue from a factual standpoint, that the Christians were at least celebrating Easter from like 100. Any questions about that? Yeah. In, you mentioned the Eastern sect of Christianity and mm -hmm. the Western part mm -hmm. that was led by the Bishop of Rome. When did Rome start to accept Christianity? They may have not made it their religion. I think that has about 300. So, um, yes. Yes and no. So, Ro there were Christians in Rome in the first century. We know this for sure because when Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome, there were already Christians there. All right? And we've got various things from Acts, you know, Priscilla and Aquila in, were Christians in Rome. And so... There were, there had, I don't know, nobody knows what year for sure, I don't think, the Christianity came to Rome, but it was very early. And uh, generally speaking, you would have in towns and cities, you would end up having multiple bishops or one bishop that would tend to be the head of the church in those places. So when we're talking about the Bishop of Rome in the second century, don't think modern pope, think he's a bishop of the church in Rome and it's not in control, it's it's either persecuted or just ignored, okay. by, by and large, from the, the pagans in, in Rome at the time. And so this would not be all of Rome. And also, Rome did not have 
obvious control of all of the western side until later in history. So even at that point, Rome was not truly in charge. Though for some, they would have looked to Rome, because naturally, what's the most important city in the world? Well, if you're Jews, it's Jerusalem. If you're everyone else in the Roman Empire, it's Rome. You're naturally going to look there. And so, do think of it like, though, as an edi- a meeting of East and West at that point. Um, not with full authority. It's not like the Bishop of Smyrna, Polycarp, like, was an authority over all of the Eastern churches. He wasn't. He was there to essentially argue their practice. And his, and his statements were that we, we, are, we do this on the 14th of Nisan because that's what John did and that's what Philip did. And so that was his basic argument of why, this is why we're not going to change. John taught me this. All right, which is which is a pretty good argument. All right, and if that's the case, then that pushes that pushes the date even further back, right? But I'm sorry, I keep saying Easter. Shouldn't do that. Pascha. They celebrated Pascha. So that was a controversy for a while. Of do we celebrate this on Sunday, or do we celebrate this on the 14th of Nisan, regardless of the day that happens to be? That ultimately got settled, pretty much in the church, uh, around the Council of Nicaea, where they decided essentially this: whenever there's the spring equinox, next full moon, the following Sunday, that's Easter, and that was their that was their algorithm for deciding what Easter is. Uh, when was the last full moon? Anybody know? Yesterday. Yesterday was the last full moon, and spring spring equinox was a little bit before that. And so, therefore, that's why we're doing Easter. Now, the Eastern Orthodox are not doing Easter, Pascha, today. They would not say Easter. What a silly word. They would say Pascha. The Eastern Orthodox are not celebrating Pascha today. The, the Eastern Orthodox celebrate Pascha next week. You might know why. Yes, that's right. That's right. Uh, I actually tried to make the calculation. I haven't figured out the math yet. Exactly. But... Julian calendar was established by Julius Caesar in 45 BC. Uh, The calendar of the Romans was a total mess. Um, You should totally go read up on it. It's fascinating how messed up it was. Um, Julius Caesar, though, basically decided, I'm going to fix this thing, and basically set up the Julian calendar, which is um, a 365-year day, day, year, there you go. 365-day year, except every fourth year is a leap year. So therefore, some days are slight, or some years are longer, and so you end up with really, it's like 365.25 on average days per year in the Julian calendar. This does not match the actual solar year, and they noticed that eventually. Um, because Easter started moving earlier in the year, which was a problem. And so in the 1500s, the Gregorian calendar was introduced by Pope Gregory XIII, I believe. And instead of, all right, so instead of it being every, a leap year, every four years, now I'm just going to read it because there's no way I'll get, I'll, I will get this right, but it's very fascinating. Hmm. All right. This is from the United States Naval Observatory. Every year that is exactly divisible by four is a leap year. 
That's Julian calendar. Except for years that are exactly divisible by 100. But these centurial years are leap years if they are exactly divisible by 400. For example, the years 1700, 1800, and 1900 are not leap years. But the years 1600 and 2000 are. All right, so that's the rule. It's extreme. It's, the math is a little bit more complicated. But ultimately, these make the years slightly shorter in average, and, are, and it's extremely close to the actual solar year. We've been following the Gregorian calendar. I mean, at first it was, it was you know, promulgated by a pope, and eventually more and more of the West took it over, and it's generally now the, it's, it's the, it's the business calendar of the world, essentially. Yes, Jonathan? Here's an interesting question. Why did the Romans, or in this case Julius Caesar, not decide to make the calendar a full solar year? Did they not know about that? I don't think they quite figured it out at that point. Okay. I mean, because it's... The actual solar year, right? Think about how you'd figure this out. Is 365.2422 days. The average length of the year in the Gregorian calendar is 365.2425. So the Gregorian calendar is only off by 0. .0003 days from the solar year. Which, I mean, I, I think they just hadn't quite figured it out. But eventually you do figure it out when Easter keeps going too early in the year. All right, and it's, it's too cold for Easter. Eventually you do figure that out. Their model of the solar system is still geocentric, right? Um, trying to think. What year was Copernicus and Galileo at that point? Yeah. Um, oh, but certainly, I mean, in um, in Caesar's time and Christian's time, it would have been geocentric, with very few exceptions. Yeah. Okay. So, so Eastern Orthodox, because they still liturgically use the Julian calendar, they're they're off by thirteen days. They're off by a bit, and so their calculations work out a little bit differently. Sometimes we do have Easter, excuse me, Pascha, on the same day. It's hard to break the habit. Um, sometimes we have this Pascha on the same day as the Eastern Orthodox. Sometimes we don't. It just depends on how the math works out. Okay, now let's talk about Easter. Uh, if you are on social media, first of all, terrible idea. Um, <laughs> Also on Twitter, but you know, terrible idea. Um, you will often see, and you'll see this in, in online magazines and stuff like this. So it's not just a social media thing. You'll see people come out and say, Easter is a pagan holiday that the Christians stole. All right, this is a, actually a super common thing to say, and it's total hogwash. All right, Amen. it is total hogwash. And the argument for why it's hogwash, if you think about it, and we will think about it. Is actually it's ironclad. Is really what it is. Where does the word Easter come from? Does anybody know? Ishtar, or so they'd like you to believe. So they like you to believe. It does not come from Ishtar. All right, that was an invention by the Richard Dawkins Foundation for Science and. There you go. In lunacy. Um, so that was. That was something they posted on their website a few years ago and then took it down because it was embarrassingly wrong. Uh, but still people repeat it on the web. It's not from Ishtar. We'll get to Ishtar. It's from Venerable Bede. All right, who's Venerable Bede? You may know him? 
He is an historian. That's right. Actually, this is way the wrong place to put it. Okay. In right here, 725-ish. Okay. The only ancient historical reference to Pascha being called Easter, spelled this way, the only historical reference to it was by Bede in 725. Okay? I'm going to read. I'm going to read some Bede. Now, Bede was an English Christian, right? English Christian, he wrote in Latin. And he's got a, a chapter in one of his books, because he's basically, he's trying to, exp he's, he's writing about English culture. And this is a chapter, uh, you, can, you can look this up, I, actually let me know if you want to see it, I'll send you a link to it. Uh, chapter on the months of the Angles, alright? So he's just talking about their months, and this is the only, and I repeat, the only ancient reference to this thing that we celebrate today being called Easter. We do not stray away from the topic if we now deal with interpreting the name of all other months, all, all of the others of their months. The months called Giuli get their name from the return of the sun toward the increase of the day, because one of them comes before and the other follows after. And so they're talking about as essentially when the sun starts coming further up north, right? That's a month. Salmoneth can be told to be the month of cakes. Sounds like a great month. <laughs> Which they then offer to their gods. Never mind. <laughs> Redmonath is named after their god Reda, to whom they sacrificed at that time. Easter month, or Eastermonath, Right. which is now interpreted as the month of Easter, once held its name from their goddess called Easter, for whom they then celebrated festivals, and by whose name they now refer to the time of Easter. They call the joys of the new solemnity by the customary name of the old observance, the new solemnity being Pascha. They call it, in England, based on Easter. Right. Now, as far as Bede is concerned, um, he ends this with, Thanks to thee, good Jesus, who turned us away from this nonsense and granted us to offer the praises and sacrifice. So that's, 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 ba that's Bede's approach. Thank you, Lord, for saving us from this nonsense. All right, so Bede's a, Bede's a good guy. So I'm going to read this again. And this is it. This is the entire ancient testimony to this thing being called Easter. Easter Monath, which is now interpreted as the month of Easter, once held its name from their goddess called Easter, for whom they then celebrated festivals, and by whose name they now refer to the time of Easter. They call the joys of the new solemnity by the customary name of the old observance. Period. It doesn't say anything about how, well, we get our celebration of Easter from Easter. Doesn't say anything like that. And frankly, it's nonsense. It's absolutely nonsense. So Bede was where? England. England. All right. For this argument to work, that Christian Pascha is based on Easter, you've got to make the argument that Jews 
in first century AD chose a pagan holiday from Britain. <laughs> from Britain and thought, that's a good idea. Let's steal that holiday, but without using its name. We will call it Pascha. It's absurd. It can't work. They're not going to do this. At that point, all right, at that point, Britain was only vaguely Roman, all right? Um, Claudius, well, Caesar had gone over there, bonked some heads, and then kind of left. Claudius in the first century, he went over there, bonked some heads, and needed to attack something. It looks good to attack something and take territory. But it was not Christianized at all at that point. And so for someone to say, well, Easter is just Christians taking over a pagan ceremony. I'm sorry, that's 700 years. That's hundreds of years too late. It just doesn't work as an argument. And so that is, honestly, it is total nonsense. Now, the other one that you mentioned, Ishtar. This one comes up, first mentioned, as Easter in our present time by the Charles Darwin Foundation for blah, 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 blah. All right? Actually, ooh, ooh, that's, that's, what did I say? Charles Darwin. Charles Darwin, thank you. Richard Dawkins. That's actually incorrect. It actually comes up the first time, and this is very fascinating, in the uh, 1800s, all right? It's popular today because of the Dawkins Foundation. Uh, but we have a Protestant minister to blame for this one. And so, as you know, Protestants, many of them, do not like Catholics. It was actually very common in the Reformation, as you probably know, to just basically label the Pope as Antichrist. All right. Uh, this fellow, who uh, I can get his, I got his name here. I can look it up for you, and I can actually send you a link to the copy of his book on archive.org if you want to read his section on Ishtar. He argued, argued, in the 1800s. Uh, basically, that Easter comes from Ishtar based on the fact that they sound very similar. That's basically what his argument boils down to. Now, Ishtar was a pagan goddess from the ancient, like Babylonians and Akkadians. So, I mean, this, this argument for Easter, it doesn't work. This one is patently absurd. It sounds like Easter, so therefore, it's from Ishtar, the Babylonian goddess from like 1500, 2000 BC. If that were the case, this is what your argument would have to be. That Easter that we first know about in 725 is derived as a term from ancient Babylonian. That's essentially what you'd have to argue for. And therefore, okay, this is a corruption of a Babylonian pagan holiday, because the Babylonian pagan holiday was about fertility and stuff. This one was probably about like the East sun rising. Semi-related, but you basically have to argue that Easter comes from Ishtar, and that Christians adopted Easter without using the name for 700 years. As an argument, it just simply doesn't work. However, there's a the, the argument for where Pascha comes from, all right? 
there's a really easy argument. Really easy. All right? And it comes from the Jewish Passover. Right? Jesus was killed during Passover. He rose from the dead during Passover week. Christians, ah, oh, we're going to celebrate this. What are we going to name it? Well, we, all are, we already celebrate the Pascha. And as good Christians did at the time, they looked at the Old Testament and saw what happened in the Old Testament and go, all of these things are about Jesus. And so they look at the Passover, the Pascha, and go, oh, the, the Passover is an image of Jesus. It is an image of Jesus' death so that the people can be delivered. And so there's a really good explanation for why Easter is called Easter. Excuse me, why Easter is called Pascha. And it's because it's based off of Pascha. It's because it's based off of the Passover. And this is only even an argument. All right, this is only even an argument in, in English-speaking places. Because we're the only ones, except for the Germans, who call it Easter. And so no one else in the world is going to look at this and go, yes, this makes sense. This only has superficial, superficial sense. This might work in English. All right. If you're interested, shoot me, shoot me an email. I will send you a number of links that have a lot of this stuff laid out for us. And so it's from a historical standpoint, this is all, this is all bollocks. Pascha comes from Passover. That's what, ultimately, our Easter is based on. Except not the Exodus Passover, which is where the name came from, but from the death and resurrection of Christ. That's where Pascha comes from. Hmm? That's right, the new lamb, right, that was sacrificed. Now, um, other things, just in case you're curious, and then we'll read in John. Uh, Easter eggs, all right, where do Easter eggs come from? Easter <laughs> they claim that actually. They do. They do claim that when that is also wrong. It comes from the Easter Bunny. All right. Um, so the first mention of the Easter Bunny, I can send you the exact date. I think was in the 1700s. So this is not Christian Easter. This is we, we, we're down here, and they mentioned, but not just the Easter Bunny. In some traditions in Germany, it's an Easter fox. In some traditions, it's an Easter pelican. Which is the only one that makes sense, because the pelican at least would have eggs. But we ended up with the Easter bunny, and what these Easter animals would do is they would leave eggs for children in the grass. All right? So Easter eggs in the Easter bunny are not old pagan things that were taken in. Um, they might be pagan-ish, maybe, but they come from Christian. Christian Europe at that time, so eh. um, at the very least, they're just they're they're myths, they're they're fairy tales. Somebody did, and uh, and actually, um, Grimm's fairy tales that that Grimm actually had some effect on that. Now the eggs themselves, all right, that's the Easter bunny. Easter eggs don't come from pagan sources. Uh, Easter eggs probably come from Lent, all right, because you are not allowed to eat eggs during Lent. And so if, you, if eggs is a major source of nutrition and food for you, as it was in Western Europe, um, what do you do? Well, when it's time to break the fast of Lent, you have eggs. And then you start, you have festive eggs. You start coloring the eggs, all right? And so Easter eggs, though 
would not have come with candy. They would have been just regular eggs. Um, probably have a, a, a Christian source, right? The, the Lenten fast, the 40-day fast before Easter. And so that's not pagan at all. Um, the rabbit thing, who knows? It's just weird. Easter pelican would have made a whole lot more sense. So what we celebrate today, the Pascha, which we, uh, following the pagans, call Easter, um, is based on an, an update of the Jewish Passover. All right? So let's go back. we got a few minutes. Let's go back and read. Turn back to John. John chapter 19. This is what Easter is based on. John chapter 19, verse 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Because, uh, so because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. And here's Easter. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. First day of the week. What day is that? Sabbath was the the last day of the week. What day was the Sabbath? Saturday. Saturday. So this would be Sunday. First day of the week. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. At this point, all right, there's been a resurrection, but she, she didn't know it yet, right? We, the body's gone. We don't know where it is. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, this is probably John, also went in, and he saw and, and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So they were in disbelief at this point. Except for John. He's like, ah. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting 
where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So at this point, Mary Magdalene believes. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin... Sometimes you might see Didymus there, which just means twin. Was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, in his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So at this point, the disciples believe. Now turn to John Chapter 13. Actually, John chapter 12. The last section, right before John 13. We started with chapter 13 at the very beginning. And that was when this was, you know, before the feast of the Passover. So this was probably in the afternoon, right before the evening that they actually took the Passover. Let's read that. The thing that Jesus says right before this. And Jesus cried out and said, this is verse 44 of John chapter 12. Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. 
If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to the world to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say, as the Father has told me. So before the crucifixion, before he meets with his disciples, he says, whoever sees me, send him who sends me. And everyone who sees me needs to believe in me. Not because I'm going to judge them, but because my statement will judge them on the last day. And God will judge them. God has commanded all to believe in Christ. All right? Which, on Saturday, would have sounded like nonsense because Jesus was dead. Right? But on Sunday, everything changed. Which is why we celebrate Easter. Is it not? Because when, and we discussed this before, right? Everyone dies. All right? What does it mean if God raises you from the dead? What does that mean? Right? Everyone dies. Why do people die? Because of sin. Right? What does it mean if God raises you from the dead? Sin doesn't have the power to kill you. You don't deserve it anymore. Right? Why why could death not hold Jesus? He had no sin. That's the witness of Jesus. And that's why we celebrate Pascha. That's why we celebrate Easter. Right? It's not commanded of us to do so. But we have ancient Christian practice. Alright? Christians have been doing it. It's... Okay, I, I like Christmas too. Um, probably not as ancient. Easter, I'm convinced, goes back to just years. I believe just years after the disciples were first preaching. Maybe even the next year. That would totally make sense. It, otherwise, I don't, I don't know what they would have done the next Passover. And so as a part of the Christian tradition, I'd say we should, we should keep Easter. Alright? And... When someone says, well, Easter is just Christianity taking over paganism, it's nonsense. If you, and if you want the ammunition, sit, let me know. I will send you the links. It's, it's an ironclad argument. It's, there's, there's debatable things, plenty of debatable things in the world. This one is not it. This is a Christian holiday, and we ought, I think, we ought to celebrate it. So let's go continue to do that. Shall we? We are going to take over paganism. We are. And we have been. Absolutely. Let's dismiss in prayer, then we'll have a little break, then we'll go next door. Uh, Michael Darwin, will you please pray for us?